0: Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 6. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are ill-treated, as if you yourself were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me?
1: Everything about the kingdom of this world is shaky and unstable. Everything we value in this world is precariously perched on a, uh, a shelf like a, a vase, a vase just sort of balancing there on the mantelpiece, a breath, uh, a, a nudge away from falling and shattering. Our health, our family, our career, our possessions within seconds could be smashed. We take them for granted. But in this world, tragedy is just around the corner. But we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's where we finished last week. Uh, That's what Dan mentioned just at the start there in chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We are receiving a kingdom. Aren't you thankful for that? The kingdom of Jesus is coming and it cannot be shaken. Under his reign, everything we value is not precariously perched on the edge. It is secure. We have possessions. We have family. We have blessing and riches that will never shatter. They will never totter and fall. They are secure. Now, um. For a risk-averse person like myself, that is so precious, I love the superior security that we have in God's kingdom. But if maybe you're the f- opposite te- temperament to me, um, just think of it like this: You will never have to fill in another risk assessment form. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Now, this unshakable kingdom belongs to everyone who turns from sin to find forgiveness in Jesus. And maybe there's someone here who finds themselves this evening on that precarious edge where it just feels like a breath, a nudge and everything could fall and shatter. If that's you, there is such good hope for you this evening. Everyone who turns from sin to find forgiveness in Jesus becomes a citizen of this kingdom. There are going to be lots of commands that are going to come up in this sermon. But I just want you to know that these commands are not how you become a part of this unshakable kingdom. All you have to do to have this precious, precious security is turn from sin and trust in Jesus. All you have to do is turn from anything else that's providing you hope and security right now and come to Jesus on the cross and say, save me. Give me that security that nothing else is giving me. Give me that security that I can't find anywhere else. And right now, here in this moment, you can become part of his kingdom. God says in his words that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And God does not lie. You can have this kingdom even this evening. Now, for those of us that are part of this kingdom... Our job is to worship God. That is our response. Our job is a life of service. Those two words, worship and service, they, they go together. That's our response to this good news. So we are meant to wake up every single day thinking, how can I worship God? How can I serve God? Even when we're watching a game of football tonight, the, the right attitude The right heart attitude of someone that understands the good news is, how can I worship God in this moment? That's what our life looks like. If there's one word to describe the Christian life, I think it's this, worship. But what does that look like every day? What does that look like on a grey Monday morning? How can we worship God? Well, Hebrews 13 verses 1 to 6 tells us, The practicalities of what serving God looks like. I think we can sum it up like this. We must worship God by continuing in love. We must worship God by continuing in love. I'm not talking about an initial burst of passion um, that soon fades. No, we are to continue in the love which we have been shown ourselves. And I can't describe this love any better than the words of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I've been reading lately. This is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. I love that. This is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the sort of love that we've been shown. And that's the sort of love that we are to continue in to worship God. Here's the first way. To worship God. Keep loving one another. We'll put that up on the screen. Keep loving one another. Specifically keep loving one another as brothers and sisters. There's a family love that should characterize all the relationships that we have as church. We're not just acquaintances. Not people that we just happen to bump into once a week on a Sunday. We're not colleagues. Um, We are family and though a thousand Hollywood movies have cheapened that concept, family means something. Family matters. When, um, when we became Christians, when we received the kingdom of God, that wasn't an individual thing. We were welcomed into God's family. We've been adopted into the family of God. You remember the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. He turns around, he sees the error of his ways and he he runs back to his father and he says to his father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me back as one of your hired servants. What does the father say? Oh yes, get to work. You You can be one of my servants. No, that's not what he says. He throws his arms around him and he welcomes him back as part of the family, as his son and they celebrate together. That's what it is to become a Christian, to be part of that precious family of God. We have a father, we have an elder brother in the Lord Jesus, and we have brothers and sisters all around us. We are family. And we are to keep loving one another. Do you notice that word there? Keep loving one another. This links with the wider theme of perseverance in Hebrews. Uh, you've probably been tracking with that as, it, as we've gone along. Um, God's fatherly love to us doesn't ebb and flow and so neither should our brotherly sisterly love ebb and flow. We're not just family when it's easy, we're family all the time. Do you know um, over the past, what are we, year and a half, I think Christchurch has done a pretty good job of loving one another. There have been so many different challenges, um, not least the fact that we, can't, we haven't been able to see each other physically. But every time there's been a rule change, there's been this obstacle to love where uh, half of the church think one thing and half of the church think another thing. And it's a real danger to our unity. But, but every time as a church, we've continued humbly loving one another and understanding that people think differently. We've got another obstacle to love coming up. Half of the church on the 25th, are going to think, oh, we should have no restrictions at all. The other half of the church are probably going to think, oh, that would be crazy to have um, all the restrictions lifted at the same time. And we're each going to want to respond uh, and, and fight for our own position. In such a time as that, we need to remember brotherly and sisterly love. Yes, people think differently. Yes, we're going to naturally want our own way. But let's have the heart of Jesus who... Didn't look out for his own interests, but looked out for the interests of others. There are other practical ways that we are to keep loving one another, and verses 2 and 3 give us uh, another couple of them. Firstly, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Now, there is a bit of a lack of emphasis on hospitality in this part of the world, but we are the anomaly you know, when friends go off and see different parts of the world, often they'll come back and say how friendly the people were, how, how hospitable they were. It shows that we're the odd ones out. Now, yes, in normal times over here, we might have our friends around from, for dinner from time to time, and that's a really, really good thing. Keep doing that. But that's not actually hospitality in the biblical sense. In the biblical sense, hospitality is always towards the strangers, foreigners, not the usual crowd. That's what hospitality is in the Bible. And it was such an important part of life in the early church. Men couldn't serve as elders if they weren't hospitable. Widows were cared for, but only on the condition that they were hospitable to others. It was such an important part of life there. And I know that we're going to be fighting an uphill battle In regards to hospitality over the next few months uh, and maybe for the rest of this year. It's going to be difficult and I don't think God expects us to go from zero to a hundred but this is the direction we're heading in. Opening our front door just a little bit wider than before. Opening that front door just a little bit wider than before. Yes, um, as we get used to Normality. We might like to start a bit safer and just invite a couple of brothers and sisters that we know well, but keep opening that door wider. Why not invite one extra person that you don't really know yet? Invite them in. Invite someone who's just come to the church for the first time maybe, along with someone else that you're comfortable with. Let's keep opening that front door just a little bit wider. This is a very practical way in which we can keep loving one another. And notice the motivation here to to keep doing so. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Why? For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Uh, I think in the author's mind here are Abraham and Lot. Abraham had a meal with three strangers that turned out to be angels, and they brought God's word to him. Lot entertained those very same um, three angels and they ended up saving his life. Now, I'd be pretty surprised if any of your guests end up being literal angels. But you may well find that they bring a similar blessing to you. You may well find that you are the one who is blessed. You know, surely the blessing of gaining a deeper relationship with another brother or sister is worth opening that door just a little bit wider. Um, and by the way, I reckon if we did a survey right now, about 5% of our houses would be tidy. And that's okay. Don't feel like you have to serve Michelin star food or have a perfect palace of a home in order to invite people around. Just be normal, it's fine. And here's the second practical way we are to keep loving one another. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are ill treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, this may um, kind of ring a bell in the back of your minds in Hebrews. Uh, back in chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, the writer reminded his readers of the early days when they first became Christians. And back then, he said, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison joyfully. So they were doing this. They were standing with those in prison. They were um, suffering alongside those who were ill treated, but they are to keep doing so. They started well, but they must continue. Throughout Hebrews, they've been told, don't drift away from your faith in Jesus, but also don't drift away from the love of Jesus. In a time where persecution against Christians was starting to get pretty fierce, the safe option was distance. The safe option would be to disassociate yourself from someone the authorities or the people around them had kind of got their claws into. But brotherly love means distance isn't an option. Brotherly, sisterly love, means their suffering is our suffering. So how do we respond when we hear something like Ed prayed about, about our brothers and sisters in India who are facing such terrible persecution at the moment, such terrible hardships at the moment? How do we respond when we hear that Christians in parts of India are unable to Access the judicial system. Judicial system. How do we respond when we hear that Christians in India are unable to get a job in some parts? Love demands that we respond as if it was happening to us. And as has been mentioned quite a few times over the last couple of weeks, Open Doors have called for a, week, a month of prayer and you can find all the details for that on opendoors.com. Keep on loving. Do not forget. Remember. The events of this last year could well have caused us to forget. They could well cause us to stop loving. But when restrictions lift, don't leave your heart in lockdown. Loving one another is an essential part of how we worship God in the everyday of life. Second, Verse 4 gives us another way. We are to worship and serve God in the normality of life. Keep loving your spouse. The first part of this command is is broad and it applies to everybody. Marriage should be honoured by all. I mean it's fairly obvious isn't it that in today's society marriage isn't honoured by all. I don't know if it's still running but there was a program called uh, Married at First Sight where people took a survey and they were matched together with someone that scientists thought would be compatible. And the very first time they'd see each other was when the bride walked down the aisle and they'd really get married there and then. And sort of after about a few months, they'd have the choice. Do you want to stay married or, or do you want to get divorced? Which is kind of funny, but also... It's turning marriage into a game show. That is not honoring marriage. Um, other, other statistics or other things to point out in society how marriage is not honored. 50% of marriages end in divorce. And uh, we see all the time how marriage has been redefined to, be now apply, to now be applied to two men or two women. But I suppose it's not that surprising that in broader society marriage isn't honored. Um, They don't follow Jesus, so why would they honor marriage? Um, That doesn't make it okay, it just doesn't make it surprising. What is most sad, I think, is when Christians don't honor marriage. We've heard just in the last couple of weeks that the Methodist church has had a vote that endorsed same-sex marriage. And one of their leaders described that vote as a courageous step. Is courageous the right word? Is courageous the word we should use when you take something that belongs to God and then redefine it against his will? Courageous isn't the word I'd use. We must honor marriage because it really matters to God. Um, Here are the words that that I use if I'm marrying a couple. Um, Marriage is more than a human tradition. It is a gift from God. He is the one who decided that men and women should fall in love and get married because the whole human story is most deeply a romance. It's a picture of the greatest love story of all, the love story between Christ and his church. The gift of marriage brings husband and wife together in joyful commitment as one flesh to the end of their lives. It's given As the foundation of family life in which children are born and nurtured, it's the place in which each member of the family may find strength, companionship and comfort and grow to maturity in love. Where good marriages thrive, society is enriched and communities are strengthened. Since marriage is a gift from God, it must be approached responsibly and thoughtfully. And we should all remember we are celebrating something that is beautiful and precious. I'll stop there because otherwise I might accidentally marry someone. (laughs) All of us have a role to uh, honor marriage here at Christchurch. You don't have to be married in order to honor marriage. If you're meeting up with a close friend, then you can ask them, uh, is there anything I can pray for you about your marriage? Um, I was going to mention, you could ask to look after their kids so they could go out on a date, but that sounds like I'm hinting. (laughs) I'm not. Honestly, I'm not. If you're dating, you can do so, and you must do so, in a way that honors marriage. Um, The world will tell you that dating is just for fun, but really, all dating is is a series of meetings where there's only one item on the agenda, is this person someone that I can commit to for the rest of my life? Yes, it is and can be heartbreaking when a dating relationship ends, but but to be honest, I don't think we should call it a breakup because if they're doing it right, then they were never together in the first place. It can be a successful ending where you just find out that, no, this isn't the person I should marry and therefore you don't marry. That is a win. You don't want to marry the wrong person. We should date in such a way that honors marriage. And for those of us that are married, we must value our marriages as an act of worship. It's so tempting for parenting and work to push marriage down the agenda. But if marriage is so important to God, if it matters to God so much, if it's an act of worship, then then we can't allow that to happen. Let's add the second phrase. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. I really think it's strange that somehow sex has become a dirty word. Maybe it's because of some kind of old hangover from Victorian prudishness. But but God doesn't think sex is dirty. Like God created sex. It wasn't an accident. Like he didn't go, "Oh no, how did that get there?" It was deliberate, on purpose. God thinks sex is pure. Between husband and wife, sex is good, beautiful, pure. And our job is to keep it that way. And I think there are two really straightforward ways for married people to do this. Firstly, keep having sex with your spouse. I notice some of you are underlining that application twice. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 3 says... The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Again, sex in marriage is good and pure. It's not just for the honeymoon. We should all aspire to be that 80-year-old couple that is still flirty and still holds hands. So keep having sex with your spouse. And secondly, and obviously, don't have sex with anyone else. This might sound obvious, but it it really does need to be said. From the point in which you get married, all of your sexual energy is pointing in one direction. And that means your conversation is to be pure. That means your texting is to be pure. That means your friendships are to be pure. Your work relationships are to be pure. Your search history is to be pure. And of course, the marriage bed is to be pure. Why? Like why make such a big deal of this? Because honoring marriage is an act of worship, we've already made that point, but also, do you see the warning there? For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Adultery um, means sleeping with someone who's not your spouse and we might expect judgment for that, but, but the second word, sexual immorality, it covers everything else the word is porneia and any sexual sin is covered by that word so does that mean that there is no forgiveness for sexual sin if you've committed sexual sin is that it are you without hope thank god no jesus came to save sinners and sexual sinners are are among them but there is a world of difference, a world of difference between a Christian who's struggling with sexual sin and temptation and someone who's given up the fight. Someone who has turned their back on Jesus to give themselves over to follow these urges. Someone who has given up the fight. They will be judged. And the pursuit of momentary sexual pleasure will seem so foolish in the long run. Maybe someone here this evening is is at that turning point where you're evaluating, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to turn my back? I would urge you, God's word would urge you, flee from sin, flee from judgment, and flee to Christ. You know, so often when fighting temptation, we focus on running away from what we're tempted by. And we must do that. We must do that. But also think about where you're running to. If you run away from one temptation and that's where all your focus is, you're probably just going to end up to running towards another temptation. Flee from sin and flee to Christ. He is so much better. There is so much more joy in him. So, keep loving one another. Keep loving your spouse. And finally, stop loving money. Do you wince at these verses? Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? When God tells you to be content, do you wince? Do you find that difficult? Do you find that challenging? Imagine how the Jewish Christians who first read this letter must have felt. We were told back in chapter 10, verse 34, that they'd had, or many of them had had their possessions taken From them because they were Christians. Many of them were poor. All of them were facing hard times. Being a Christian and being poor in those circumstances went hand in hand, they went together. So you can imagine how dangerous the love of money would have been to those Christians. Just like sexual sin, it it could cause them to turn their back on Jesus. Do I want Jesus or do I want money? Do I want the security that comes with that? And this danger is real for us as well. Think of it this way. If you're carrying and clutching onto bagfuls of gold, it's impossible to embrace Jesus. That love, that gold, it's got to drop so that you can embrace him. And of course, it's possible to be rich and be a Christian, but you have to choose where your heart lies. Do you worship God? Do we worship God? Or do we worship our wallet? Recently, um, well, very recently, in fact, about half an hour ago, we were reminded about two of our young people who uh, are serving God among university students next year. And uh, we were also taught, uh, taught about the kind of the what, the when, the why, the how of Christian giving. How do we respond to that? If we're content with what we have, then, then why wouldn't we give? But do we value our new house, our new car, our new wardrobe more? Whatever, as Christians, whatever our financial conditions, we have every reason to be content though. Those verses are so precious. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Those words, it's a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 31. And God's people were were just about to enter the riches, the blessing of the promised land. And God says to them, I am with you. And whatever enemies are around you, you have me. And God. For them, that meant so much because it meant they already were wealthy. They already had the best riches and blessing, God's presence among them, a wealth that none of the other enemies around them could compete with. And it meant, it meant presence now and it meant riches later because with God's presence, they had certain victory over all those enemies in the promised land. And this should give us confidence because we have God's presence now and God's riches later. Whatever our financial circumstances, there is nothing better in our bank account than the presence of God. He is with us and we have riches later. We have astronomical blessing ahead of us in the kingdom of God. This should give us confidence uh, as we see in uh, the next verse, verse six, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Yes, money might give us some security and it, and it does. It means you can plan a bit more for the future, but it is a fading security. The security that God gives us is far Far greater. It is a wealth, a riches, a security that will never fade. And so we can say, Perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or hoped or known, yet how rich is my condition. God and heaven are still my own. We are, brother and sister, we are rich beyond comparison. Why would we want to love money? How do we worship God in the everyday life? How do we serve him? Well, keep loving one another. Keep loving your spouse and stop loving money. Let's pray. Almighty God, um, these are challenging words, but thank you for where they come from. Thank you that they flow out of a response to such good news. Thank you that we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thank you that we have riches beyond compare ahead of us and we have your presence with us even now. Father, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to what we've heard this evening. Father, please help us to love one another better, to keep loving one another better. Father, we pray that you'd help us to keep honoring marriage and keep loving our spouses. And Father, we pray that you would keep the love of money far from us. Please help us to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing that song that I quoted there.